reached down his nail-scarred hand, and he lifted you out. So remember where you were back then, and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory for what he's done in your life. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Do you remember when with all your heart you longed to serve Him? But you didn't think that Jesus could use someone like you. But look how He's used your life since he brought you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory for what he's done in your life. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start he took your broken life and made you complete so take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the savior's feet so take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. That's a good song, isn't it? Yeah. That's a great message. Fellas, I need you to take this thing away again. All right, we're going to jump back into our series here tonight. Oh, I think this thing might be dead. Somebody might have left it on. Can you get another battery for it, maybe? I probably don't have any, do we? Okay. Yeah, I think it's broken. It's, wait, it just came on. It's good enough. Maybe I keep flipping it back and forth and I expect it to come right on, I guess. Well, listen, real quickly, while they're doing that, singles, tonight I need to see all of you right after the service very quickly back in our class. It won't take long. I just want to discuss or talk about very briefly uh, this uh, trip we're taking on the 1st and 2nd to the uh, Creation Museum, okay? So if you could just uh, meet us back there. And again... Uh, about um, five, ten minutes right after the service. So give me about five or ten minutes, and then we'll head back there. And we'll get that done, okay? And uh, that'll be great. Let's see, there's something else. Also, prayer in here on Saturday. Uh, there will be prayer again Saturday, 930, for those who are unable to go out door knocking. You're welcome to come on out and pray. Again, we had four saved last Saturday. We had one saved Monday. We had one saved Tuesday. Well, apparently one saved Tuesday. Do we have? I thought we had two saved Tuesday. Two saved, so... We had four, and then three is seven. Right, okay, there we go. All right, good. So that's good. Things are moving along. Let's keep up the good work, man. It's going great. 
All right, true riches, that's what we're talking about. And uh, so we're, we're in our series, True Riches, and um, our passage is out of the book of Psalm, chapter 23. And over there in the book of Psalm, chapter 23, a very familiar passage. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. <clears throat> oh, man, I just lost my uh, train of thought. I kept thinking, boy, I haven't quoted this in a while. Prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. So, again, this is the passage we've been dealing with. And we've been talking about true riches. True riches. Opposed to what? Worldly riches. Yeah, and that's what we've been dealing with. And boy, I tell you, the book of Psalm is a tremendous book because it, it, it just truly does enable us to understand some of those wonderful riches that we have in Christ Jesus. So often we're guilty of viewing riches as something we can hold in our hands maybe. But it, that's not always the case at all. As a matter of fact, as believers, that's not usually the case. We have so many riches. I mean, just think about the fact that God in heaven uh, loved you enough to come to earth and die for you. I mean, just think about the fact that he literally indwells you. I mean, that's amazing truth, you know. Um, Consider the idea and the fact that, that the moment, the moment you close your eyes in death, you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Amen. Christ. Now listen, that, that, that's, that's a, a tremendous comfort to people. It's a need. Now for some of these young people, they don't think much about that because to them, death is so far away. But the reality is the closer and the older we get, the more we think about those things and the more uh, real they become to us. And we realize how important it is to have that close, intimate relationship with Christ. Otherwise, we face it alone. And we, we can't afford to do that. And, you know, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we need that joy. We lack that joy, we lack strength. And so we find here in the book of Psalm that we see some uh, evidences of true riches. And uh, through the course of this uh, series already, we've talked about the Lord is my shepherd. And we said that's a relationship. Well, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a true, uh, it's hard to say true rich, a true riches or whatever, I don't know, uh, real riches, I guess. Uh, boy, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I shall not want, that's supply. Boy, the Lord's good to supply our needs, isn't he? And again, he doesn't always give us what we want, but he certainly gives us what we need, amen? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, that's rest. Uh, we talked about that at length uh, during the course of this uh, particular study, and the fact is, is that as believers, we need rest. We must have rest. You know, you only find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't find rest in uh, uh, you, you don't find rest in people. You don't find rest in things. You find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That's refreshment, and boy, that's that's good stuff right there. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. We said, and uh, there's many more ways of healing than just physical too. There's emotional and spiritual. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Uh, well, that's guidance. Boy, we're glad that we have the guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, directing our steps. Uh, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in them. And so we want God to, to direct our steps, and uh, that's important. You know, the, the fact is, is that, we, you know, we talk about guidance, and 
that we really prefer to guide ourselves so often. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, we think we really, we really do think way too highly of ourselves, don't we? We get the idea that we really do know which way we ought to travel, what we ought to do, where we ought to go. Uh, we, we even think we know what God wants for us. You know, and sometimes we step out on our own doing those things saying, well, I'm sure God would have me do this. Oh, so did God tell you to do it? Well, no, but it just makes sense. Well, that's your sense. I think last I checked that was horse sense, not God sense. You like that little play on words? Some of you don't like it because that's how you operate. And if you just got mad, it's because I was right. Okay, so anyway, you say, he's a mean dude tonight. No, I just, I just feel like the Lord's going to use it. So anyway, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And that's guidance. True riches. Those are some riches there. You know what I mean? Yes, Go ahead and take, a, take a, 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 you know, $100,000 today and, and say, okay, well, you can have $100,000 or you can have a relationship with Christ. You can have 100000 or you can have God's supply or his rest, his refreshment, his healing, his guidance. What would you choose? Sadly enough, I think many would choose the 100000 because they can see it, they can feel it, and they say, man, I know what I can get with this. The only problem is that's going to run out, isn't it? And you'll be laying in your bed at night all by yourself with no rest. Talk to somebody that can't sleep and see how they feel. Tell you what, they'd give anything they had to get a good night's rest, just to sleep even, not counting the peace of God. We're talking about rest there too. We're talking about true riches now. Okay, so let's continue on. For his namesake, for his namesake. In the passage, he makes the statement, well, when we think about his namesake, we're thinking about that, that's purpose in our life. Um, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He, he does it with a purpose. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's purpose. God's purpose. He has purpose. What's the meaning of life? Well, many would say whatever you want it to be. You make, it, make it up. Whatever you want life to mean, that's what it is. You know, it's a sad thing we live in. And, and I want to encourage you to come Sunday night uh, over to the new building because I, I, the Lord's put a message on my heart. And I think it will be a blessing to you. It's called, it's called Reasons Why I Believe. Uh, Community Baptist Temple is going places. Okay? I, I'm just confident of that. I'm going to give you three basic things. We're not going to spend a lot of time because when we go over there, one of our goals is to kind of take a tour. So we're going to spend a little time doing that and give you an opportunity to kind of take a little walk around. Not a lot. We can't go through the whole place because it is dangerous. But there's the upstairs up through there that we just poured some concrete and you can see the downstairs, walk through the halls, whatever, and get a feel for what it's going to be like. You know, it'll be really awesome. But the, the thing is, is that when we start thinking about what the meaning of life is, we have a tendency to define that ourselves even. Well, the meaning of life is, uh, you know, getting married and having kids and raising a family. That's the meaning of life. Until your kids all grow up and leave the house and you realize you're all alone. Well, then what happened to the meaning of life? You, you see where I'm going with that? See, we've got to be careful that we don't... Well, the meaning of life is getting a good education and ultimately getting a good job, being able to supply and support yourself and your family down the road. Until you get a, a disease and you're on your back and you can't work even though you have a great degree 
then all of a sudden that's not the meaning of life anymore because you can't even fulfill your meaning in life. Then what? You might as well kill yourself. And that's what people are doing today because they defined what the meaning of life is from their own context. And when they can, can, they can no longer fulfill that meaning, then they see there's no reason to live. Some people think the meaning of life is having a husband or a wife in a relationship. So then all of a sudden their husband or wife walks out on them and they take their own life. You say, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. Well, it makes sense when you consider that they defined what the purpose of life was. And now they have no purpose to live. See, God defines purpose. Purpose isn't based on whatever you want it to be. Purpose is based on God's design for us as human beings. He created us with a purpose. There's not a person in here that's not special, not unique, and not an individual. God doesn't want us all to be the same. He doesn't want us all to think the same and act the same. Yeah, we're to be of one mind, as we'll notice, obviously, in the church, focusing on his gospel going forward. But still, there's all unique. we're all unique and all different in certain ways. Now, I can complain about it. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I, Jake over there, you know, he's got some real weird quirks and, you know, things like that. But, but he's Jake, you know. And then he looks at me and says, man, he's the preacher. He's got some weird things about him. But that's me. I'm the preacher. See, everybody's got their own little deals going, good and bad. Now, I was just teasing about Jake, but Jake, everybody knows Jake's perfect. But, but the fact is, is that we all, we, all got, we all got our little things going here. But that's okay because God uses us with a purpose, created us with a purpose. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye uh, have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, uh, in, uh, your, glorify, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, again, when we get saved, all of a sudden our body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God and you're not your own. See, we, we automatically lose our right to determine what we want to do in life now and what we want to use our body for. You know, you know what the, the most uh, egregious and, and most uh, horrible thing about uh, immorality as a young man or a young lady is that you've made up your mind that you're going to use your body for your purpose instead of letting God use it as he sees fit. That, that's the real violation. We say, oh, it's that, that, that particular sin. No, that's not the real problem. The problem, the real issue is that you have taken God's place and said, I want to be God of my life. I'm going to determine the direction I go. I'm going to determine what I do with this body. Listen, you have no more right to do that, though, than you do to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do with my future. See, I have these wonderful abilities. I have this, uh, this opportunity physically. I could be a professional football player. Well, you shouldn't be a professional football player unless God wants you to be. doesn't matter what you want to be. It's what God wants us to be. He has a purpose for us. I'm excited about some of our Spanish fellows. They're... they're uh, they're um, going to Bible college at night because they have a heart and a desire to, to ultimately uh, make an impact in this world. And, and I believe, there's, uh, from what I can tell, there's a couple of them that are really serious about possibly even one day maybe pastoring a church. Now, they may not know that yet, but I, I, I feel that. And, and you know what? I'm telling you, that's good stuff. But see, what it is is that it would be a lot easier for them and for some of you here in this room that feel that kind of pulling and tugging on your heart to say, well, i got a plan. And, and, and I think I know what God wants me to do. Well, no, you don't need to think. You better know. And if you'll do what God wants you to do, He has a purpose for you, and you'll be the happiest you can ever be in that purpose. That's why when people say things like, I don't need the local church, they don't understand what the purpose of God is in their life. 
They don't understand it. Now, now, I can tell you this. I personally believe this, and I've said this a few times lately. I don't know that there's a better place to be that you can be closer to God than the local church. Now, again, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I have time in my personal devotions. I get up and spend an hour every morning. I understand all that stuff. I do. But let me tell you something. I never feel closer to God than I do when I'm in this service and I hear that choir singing. Man, and I hear those specials, and I, I get even, especially like when Brother Moon's preaching or one of these guys, and I get a chance to listen even. Man, I just feel like, Lord, if you just... You know what? If I just kind of stop breathing now, I just kind of step right into heaven from here. You ever feel like that? Well, I do. And I'm going to tell you something. God has a purpose for this place, and it ought to be a place to bring us encouragement and hope. But again, it's not about our body. It's his. For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit with your God's. Therefore, your body's to, be, to glorify God, your spirit's to glorify God, every aspect of our life is to glorify God. That is a wonderful thing. That is a, when we are doing that and we're allowing God to work in our life like that, man, I'm going to tell you what, that is true riches. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, we're to glorify God in everything we say and do. And boy, when you know what God's purpose is in your life, when you, you've got a, a hold on that thing, you get a grasp on that, then all of a sudden you can handle things coming in your life because you know God's in the midst of it all. You know that God's pulling, pulling the, the trigger on things. You know God's allowing it to pass over the desk and putting his stamp of approval on it. Even though it may not be comfortable, you know God's in the midst of it because he has a purpose for your life, and that purpose may continue long after you've left this earth even. There's a reason for it. And that's... Uh, people people get, take their lives because they have no purpose anymore. They feel they have no purpose. That should never be a Christian. A Christian should never get to that place. I'm not saying we don't, but we shouldn't. We need to always keep our mind on the fact that we've been bought with a price. We have a purpose. Everything we do is for his namesake. Not for us, not for others, for him. Others always benefit when we serve him first, put him first. Why should we glorify the Lord again? Why should that be our purpose? Because he's creator, first of all. I mean, for by him were all things created. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. One of the toughest things in our life to allow God to have is us. It's one of the toughest things. Because you know what that means? That means, like the Apostle Paul said, whether in life or death, God will be glorified in my life. That's a tough pill to swallow right there. That's a tough one. But you want to know something? According to the Word of God, because He's Creator, He made us. All things, he says, all things were created by Him and for Him. That means that God, being sovereign, has a right to do with us as He pleases. And we, we need to be able to embrace that and, and to, to somehow come to grips with that. And that, that's, a, that's difficult. That doesn't happen by just praying five minutes a day, folks. That, you don't get to that place by just simply reading your Bible because it's on, the, it's on the reading list. There has to be a conscious effort to draw nigh to God so that He draws nigh to you. To find yourself in the... In, literally in the presence of Christ and then finding the purpose of God as creator. 
He's sovereign. He has that right. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1, verse 3. So he's creator. Uh, that's why we should glorify the Lord, uh, why glorifying the Lord should be our purpose. Not only that, he's savior. He hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace. Isn't that interesting again? Notice this thing that comes up again. His own purpose. Amen. Do you see that again? Isn't that interesting? He says, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to what? Our works. Okay, that means our effort. According to our effort, what we can do, but according to his own purpose. He had a purpose in all this. Not only did he save you by his grace, but he had a purpose for saving you. See, you didn't just get saved. It wasn't by chance. God knew already in his foreknowledge you'd trust him. And he foreordained that you should walk in newness of life. And he foreordained that you should serve him in, in a specific way. And, and you ought to be doing the works of Christ. He, he already ordained that. That's God's purpose. He has a purpose for you. Every one of these youngsters on the front row, these girls, look at me girls. Those two girls right there, they're very young and they're very innocent at this point. But God has an exact purpose for them. He already knows what he wants for them in their life. He already knows that. You know, and sometimes we look at things like, well, we'll just see how it turns out. I don't have to see how it turns out. God already knows how it'll turn out. They just have to be willing to let God have their life and let God direct their steps and let God guide them and, and lead them. Because He has a purpose for life. They're special. They're unique. They're God's children. And He has something for them. And He has something for you, too. But He goes on to say, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So because he's our Savior, man, we ought to, we, we, we ought to find glorifying him as our purpose. He's our Lord. And, and this, there's a difference between this one and this one. It's one thing to have Christ as your Savior. It's another thing to have him as your Lord. Now, I know somebody thought we talk about, you hear words like lordship, salvation, all that stuff. Well, you have to turn him over. You have to, he's got to be Lord before he can be Savior and all. But really, the truth is you get saved before you really understand what this all means. You really do. I mean, it's just a reality of life. I mean, anybody, uh, I don't know about you, but I still have, uh, you know, you talk about repentance, you know, and salvation and all that stuff. Okay, when you got saved, did you really understand repentance? I'm not even going to ask you if you really understand it now. But what you do know is that you can't trust your own works. You have to trust only Him and what He did for you. Well, you're pretty much figuring out what repentance is then, aren't you? But the problem is you didn't necessarily understand it all. You couldn't have answered a set of questions. But boy, I'll tell you what, you knew you needed Him as Savior. And now as you grow in Him, He becomes more of your Lord every day, doesn't He? That means He guides you. He sits on the throne of your life. He has more control of you than ever. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day everyone's going to bow. One day everyone's going to submit to God. But right now he has us. So we ought to do that because we're his children. So we see that, that need. Why should glorifying the Lord be our purpose? He's creator. He's savior. He's Lord. That's why. But boy, I'll tell you what. When, when we have a purpose in our life, oh boy, that's valuable right there. That's priceless, folks. If, if I came around the room and said, what's your purpose in life? Would you be able to answer that? You know, and, and again, I, I understand that, you know, it's, you know, you think, oh, that's a trick question. No, it's not. Do you know what your real, your real purpose is? If we want to just boil it down to one word, well, three words, glorify the Lord. 
ought to be glorifying Christ. That, that's the real reason. Everything we say and do ought to glorify Christ. Whether it's out on a basketball court or whether it's out door knocking or whether it's sitting in the pew or whether it's teaching a Sunday school class. Everything we do ought to glorify the Lord. Everything. That's, that's, it's that simple. So that ought to be our purpose, really, to bring glory to God. Now let me ask you something. And I'm, I just want to be as blunt as I can be. Does taking your own life glorify God? It would never do that. But watch. When you do not feel you have a purpose, and you don't understand your purpose, you may be driven to it. I'm about tired of people saying, well, somebody that would take their own life could never go to heaven. Are you kidding me? I've known Christians have been so low they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't even see up, let alone. I, I mean, what, for whatever reason, whether it's a medical issue or whether it's some kind of uh, medication they're on or something that just kind of messing with them because of that. I, I mean, listen, before you start pointing fingers at people and think you're so great, you better be careful with that. Let me tell you something. You get a good dose of depression in your life. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Before you start jumping on the bandwagon and saying all those people I just pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and get a real life. I'm a real man and I don't have a problem with that. If they were real men, they wouldn't either. Okay, we'll see how it goes for you. I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm just saying it's a spiritual battle, folks. We need to be prepared for spiritual warfare. And some people are, some people are more prone to those kind of things than others. And so we do need to be considerate of them. But this right here is the biggest factor. We have to know we have a purpose. And the Lord gives us that. That is a rich. Those are riches right there. True riches. True riches. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. We think about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. Now, we know that the shadow of death's not really death, right? Because a shadow can't hurt you. But it doesn't mean it's not scary. But the reason why the Lord begins to share these truths with us is because He wants us to understand that shadows can't hurt us. So we really don't have, we don't need to be afraid. But then again, on the other hand, it can be scary. Have you ever been afraid of the dark? Have you ever been afraid of a shadow, maybe? I have. I've done that. I mean, we all have, probably. But... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. Now, the psalmist, David, he, he understood what it meant to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, didn't he? I mean, he was being pursued by Saul, even. I mean, every day he turned around, he wondered whether or not he'd be living the next day. You know what he had to hold on to? Was the purpose of God in his life. He knew God had a purpose and a plan for him. He had to hold on to that, and he had to say, you know what? I could die today, but then again, God has a purpose for me. I've got to believe that Whatever happens is going to be part of his plan. And you know what? I think down deep he knew that he was going to be king one day. He believed the Lord. And so there was a part of him, every time he started getting scared about dying, he'd think, God has something better for me. I might be wrong about that. But when you really think about it, isn't that really the truth for all of us? We start thinking about dying. We have to think, maybe God's got something better for me. Heaven? It's a shadow of death. Forty is the number of testing in the Bible. 
When you run into the number 40, you're going to find testing. It's associated with difficult circumstances. Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted, what, 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hundred. When did the devil come after him? After 40 days and 40 nights. It was a number of testings. We see Noah in the flood, Genesis 7, 12. And the rain was upon the earth how many days and nights? Forty testings. Difficult circumstances always surrounding that number. We see Israel in the wilderness wanderings, number 14, numbers 14, 33. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be waste in the wilderness. Notice they're in the wilderness forty years. Testings. Again, we see Goliath in the armies of God. It's 1 Samuel 17, 16. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Testings. Okay, every time we see that in the Bible, that, word, that number 40, we start to go, hey, it's going to probably be associated with some hard times here, some testings. You and I can count on testings in difficult times too. They find us. You don't have to look for hard times or difficult times, mind you. They find you. Job 5, 7 says, Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. You, you, know, you know what's amazing? To, you know, and again, I, I'm just like you, but it, it amazes me that sometimes I look at my life and I go, Man, I can't believe this is happening. You ever say that about something going on in your life? I, I mean, I've, I've said that. I, I've thought that. Oh, great. I can't even believe this is happening. And yet the Bible says, man is born into troubles. The sparks fly upward. You, it's par for the course. That's what life is, troubles. See, when you're young, you don't have as many of them, it seems like, unless for some reason you, you, you fall into a bad situation. But the truth is, is that as you get older, you realize life isn't always giving you as much as it used to kind of demanding more from you now. And if you're not careful, you still think it owes you something or that he owes you something. Well, I go to church faithful, so God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. It's because they find us, them troubles. They just find us. They're looking for you. You don't have to look for them. Not only that, but they fine-tune us, though. They fine-tune us. You know, God always has a purpose in everything he permits in our life. And you know what? It used to be, I used to try to get away from this a little bit. I used to kind of say, you know, well, the devil, you know, he's the reason all this bad stuff happening. And you know, the devil, he does. He, if it wasn't for his deception and wasn't for man yielding to that deception, there'd be no sin. And if there's no sin, there'd be no death. There'd be no hurt, heartache, tears, and all that good stuff. We understand that. But when it's all said and done in a believer's life, there's not one thing that comes into our life that God hasn't given his stamp of approval on and hasn't permitted in our life. Not one thing doesn't just happen. God allows it. And I know that's a hard thing to, to understand at times, but the problem is sometimes if we don't share it the way the Bible does, then we give these unrealistic expectations of who and what God is. And then we get bitter at God because He doesn't give us what we think we deserve. And then in the end, people look at God and say, hey, if it wasn't for you, I'd still have a loved one. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this disease. If it wasn't for you, I would, st I would have more money. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in this mess financially. I thought you were supposed to love me. 
but they fine-tune us. And, and again, that, that, that's a lot easier said than done. Oh, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about it. It's another thing if I've got to go through it all. 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith being much more, what? Precious than of gold that perisheth. Now, who's he talking to in Peter? If we, if we look over, look in, in the book of Peter real quick. Look over there in the first chapter of 1 Peter. I've got to find it myself. We're almost done here. Kind of hard to bend over here and do this. Notice he says in First Peter chapter one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Notice that strangers scattered throughout. You know who he's dealing with here? Believers like you and I, who are being persecuted who are literally fleeing for their lives, who have lost loved ones, family members, and friends because of evil forces. Can you imagine that? I mean, it would be horrible, wouldn't it, to be so fearful like that, every day worried that somebody in authority in the government would come into our home or possibly you know, take us off to prison or maybe even put us on a rack or burn us at the stake. That's what they were dealing with. Now, here, here now... Peter, under inspiration, says, here, that's what's going on now, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's, that's hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? That, that that's supposed to bring glory to God? That's supposed to honor the Lord in the end? We're supposed to be rejoicing in the midst of this mess? Wow, that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. Thanks for that note, Peter. We'll, we'll take it under advisement. James 1, 3 through 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. People say, I don't want to pray for patience because I know what's going to happen. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you the truth? You don't have to pray for patience. God's working on you all the time anyway. I'm going to tell you that. I found I learned that through my, my life a little bit. I used to be afraid to pray for patience because I've had a few preachers say, don't pray for patience or he'll put you through it. And I thought, but the Bible says that that's an important thing to have in your life. So why wouldn't I want it? The only problem is, I mean, I guess you don't have to ask for it. I'm just telling you, you don't really have to ask for patience. God's going to work that work in your life anyway because he's always fine-tuning us. So you're going to have to learn it one way or the other. I guess we have to keep going through the tests until we get it figured out. That's the scary part. I feel like I've never learned the lesson. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. How serious are we about being perfect and entire, wanting nothing? Are, are you as a believer wanting that in your life? Before you say yes, think about that for a minute. That, that, it's easier said than done again. But remember, in the end, what God wants for us is always better for us than what we think we need. It, it's tough. It's, it's hard to understand, but it's true. They find us. They fine-tune us. Notice what else. They define us. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. 
When it's all said and done, look at, every, look at the great men and women of God through the years and through time. What have they all endured? seems like every single one of them gone through heartaches and hurts. Look at, look at the most, most um, the saints that you personally um, respect the most. You know what you find? They're usually the ones that have been through trials, difficulties, hard times, and they're faithful to God and they still have a joy of the Lord and you go, man, I can't believe their faith. I want to be like them one day. Well, you know how they got that way? They had to depend on God. There were some things in their life that just could not be solved by man. A doctor couldn't fix it. A wife or husband couldn't console it. Children couldn't meet the need. It was just them and God. That's how they got there. Well, that's, they, they define us. And so we find these things to be the case. So as we, we consider these issues, and we'll close here, but we, we noted tonight just real simply, purpose, purpose. Boy, that is a, those are riches that cannot be bought or paid for. We, we noticed, as we said here, testings. It, it, it doesn't seem like testing should be something that are blessed. You know, those are the things we don't like at least physically, in the flesh. But they produce something great. You young men, some of you have played sports or you've been involved in some kind of sport activity. The coach runs you, puts you through the paces. I mean, he's got you exercising and maybe lifting weights or running back and forth and doing all kind of crazy stuff and you're breathing real hard and you can hardly catch your breath and you're like, man, that guy is a slave driver. I can't believe him. He's nuts. But when it comes game time, and it's the, the last quarter of the game, and the chips are, everything's on the line, and you come through shining with shining colors, you'll say, man, we have a good coach. Man, we were ready for that game. We were ready. You know what made you ready? The trials. The difficulties. And you know what? That's unfortunately what really fine-tunes us, what ultimately prepares us to. Well, God help us to know Him and just to really try to seek His face and to understand that we have a purpose in Christ, every one of us, and that sometimes even God permits things in our life that aren't comfortable because it's helping to fulfill that purpose. That's not easy to understand, nor is it easy to deal with. But it is something that we have to wrap our mind around and embrace or we could easily become bitter toward the Lord. So God help us just to have that kind of heart and realize it's really a true riches, one of his riches. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for just the opportunity we've had, Lord, just to consider your word tonight, just to, to take just a few minutes and, 